Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Oh, here we go, boys. Go. Love that sound. This is a good one. Apprentice Hunter Validation. Apprentice Hunter Validation. This needs to be talked about. This is gonna be this is gonna be oh, no. my target. Okay. This is something that you are probably not aware of, and I don't think a ton of people in Minnesota are aware of it. Hmm. Apprentice hunter validation. This is where a an, a hunter that has not gone through firearm safety can hunt in the field with a licensed hunter for two years. Don't have to be consecutive, but that allows them to get into a firearm training class because there's scheduling conflicts. My okay, so you do sound like you're very well. <laughs> okay, well. Am I close? For, for people who aren't Dale Luganville, <laughs> the Apprentice Hunter Validation. Oh, when so you this say is, it like that, it sounds so official. It, it is so fucking official, and this, this, is, this is a gift that needs to be appreciated and it needs to be made aware of because it is so unbelievably valuable for people who want to get into hunting, but they they maybe don't um, come from a hunting family. Maybe they don't have that many hunting friends, or maybe they have a couple hunting friends, but they don't want to, you know, like, and maybe these friends are like, ah, yeah, I'll take you hunting. And then your excuse is, well, I don't have my hunter safety certificate and I can't get a license and well, guess what? Yeah, you can. 
for $3.50, you can hunt for two up to full two years with this apprentice hunter validation program. $3.50. And they don't have to be consecutive years. Correct. And you don't have to have your hunter safety. Right. The only real requirement that I know of is you have to be hunting with a licensed, you have to be hunting with somebody who is legit with them. Yes, uh, correct. With a license, you know. That's how I understand it. So, all right, we're rolling. That's all good stuff. So let me just do a quick inter, uh, intro, nothing super fancy. But what I noticed on our previous episodes is that unless they oh, listen yeah. to our very first one, they have no idea who's talking right now. So, okay, okay, okay. Yeah, so, yeah, good point, good point. <laughs> so welcome to the Full Scale Outdoors podcast. Uh, joining uh, me, I'm Dale Luganville. Joining me again is Mr. Phil Schmidt. And so, uh, yeah, there we go. That's all That's all we need to do, just in case now people know. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, this is good. As far as I know, and I don't know, I, I agree. I think this is something that I really wish got more press or got more talked about. For anybody out there, and I think a lot of people when they hear apprenticeship, they think kids, which is great. It's a, it is a great thing for kids that because there's only so many firearm uh, instructors out there. So they fill up really quickly and that becomes then a barrier for some people like getting into you know it's like it's like anything you want to do right you put any sort of stumbling block or barrier and then people will just not do it right they're like well i want to do this but when when they found the initiative to to call and look and they try to get in it was full and then now they're just going to shelf that project and they're going to move on to the next project yeah, and they do that until they're dead. Exactly. So don't do that. <laughs> yeah, so uh, definitely don't do that. Uh, but what I also want to say is that this is this is great for you know what's been called the adult onset hunter. So this isn't just for kids. If you're 45, 40-something, 30-something, 20-something, 60-something, whatever the case may be, and you've always been hunter-curious and you want to get out there but and you just didn't know – what you need to do is network, and f- you've got to have a buddy that hunts. You've got to have a buddy that knows a buddy that hunts, or an uncle, or cousin, nephew. Anyone. Somebody. You know somebody that hunts, I promise you. And they might not know about this program. So look into it. You can both look into it together, and it's going to be a way to get you in the field. So, yeah, you can – you. I've never done it, so I don't know how it works. But yeah, it's a it's a very nominal fee. You'll get signed up, and then yeah, you have to be hunting with a a licensed hunter that has gone through firearm safety. Yep. And then you can learn real world because, as we all know, if anybody's ever gone through like uh, well, shit, even grade school, high school, but for sure like the trades. I know when I was an iron worker, you know, we had a three year apprenticeship. I didn't really learn anything in class, the only, the only, with the exception of welding, because you actually did it. You know, everything you read in a book, you can read all the terms, you can read... Oh, so what's the topic today, Dale? What are we going to talk about? We're, we're, this is what we're talking about. All right. I'm, not, I'm, I'm only going down a slight rabbit hole. You'll f- just okay, okay, stay with okay, me. Okay. Stay with yep, me. Yep, yep, yep. You only, you know, like you can read about all the terms, but until you get in the field and start actually doing it, the light bulb goes off, and you're like, oh, that's a this, that's a that, that's this term, that's that term, that 
this all kind of makes sense now, which does help in the field. But you learn in the field, and that's the point. So you can, even with firearm safety, it's almost, I think it's almost better this way to apprentice with a skilled hunter and then take the class than to just go to the class, oh, you slap a license in your pocket, and off into the woods you go with, yeah, little, sure. I'm, with I'm, little to no experience, real-life experience. Much, much, yeah, I'm much better hands-on learning. Like, I, I learned a lot more after I got my hunter safety, you know, and then actually went out hunting. That's where I really started learning stuff. I, I learned such a little amount in the classroom just because that doesn't fit my learning style. You know? Right. Yeah. No, I think this is a way better way of going about it. I don't want to see it, like, regulated this way. Like, I would hate to actually see it, um, like, you have to have two years of, an, of hunt as an, uh, a hunting apprentice before we can give you. I don't want to see that because there's plenty of, there's plenty of people that grow up within that hunting culture that have that exposure since the day they were born, right? So it's like you're going to make them do that before they can get a license. Like, I don't I don't necessarily agree with that. But um, for people that are on the fence or that have been thinking about it, I think that's a great way to do it. Like, get yes. in there, start hunting, start really learning. And then when you go and take the course, that course is going to be so easy. Well, and it's firearm safety for one, but I would hope that, you know, it's not hunter education, it's firearm safety, but I would hope the people taking you are giving you a baseline hunter safety, you know, impromptu lesson in the field. Right on. <laughs> they better be. I mean, you know, as you've guided, I've guided. So, I mean, before the hunt ever starts, you got to give your spiel, right? Yep, yep, like, yep. Guns are like this, safety, we're done shooting, safeties are off, nobody fires till I say so, you know, all the stuff. Treat every gun as if we're loaded. You basically run through the whole course in, you know, a two-minute speech. It's fast you can. At least that's what I tried to do anyways. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so with the validation, like, we're, we are running out of, like, we're going downhill as far as selling hunting licenses. We need to get more women, children, and also people of color into the outdoors and hunting. You know, like, right now, I think one of the biggest targets is, like, uh, you know, I have to just think about this before I spew it out, but it's predominantly been a white sort of sport, you know, hunting and fishing. And uh, the world's changing, so uh, there are just more people of color that we need to get into hunting. You know, we you know we need to we need to make this we need to make everybody aware that there is a so much easier way to just get into this. You just have to know. And I, I think I'm rambling, but basically the apprentice hunter validation, look it up, moving on. <laughs> and moving on. Um, yeah, no, I think um, women in the outdoor space is I think the largest growing um, group. Uh, but I, but there are more and more people of color for sure. I mean, I'm very good friends with my buddy, Orlando Childs from campfire evolution. Um, as a heavily melanated individual, is the most PC way you're supposed I've to put it. I've never heard that. That's awesome. <laughs> so, a heavily melanated. <laughs> that's fucking sweet. Well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, awesome. he he refers to melanated people. You got away with words, Dale. <laughs> well, it's not mine. I didn't invent it. I just heard it and, and adopted it. But and I, I, like I and, it. and personally, for me, I only like say it kind of tongue in cheek because I love it. 
Although I do kind of like melanated versus black and white because it's like it. they're yeah, not, right, you know, right. that is not a black person. You look at the color black, that the person is not black. You call me white, I'm not. You put me next to a piece of white paper, I'm not that color, right? So right. it's like yeah, these are these are kind of weird adjectives, but we know yeah, what black but, people aren't black either. They're like exactly, brown. but we also, but with that said, you know, we also know the intent. We also know what they're referring to. So the words, the sound that we do make with our face, get the point across. We know what you're saying. So the, yep, yep. I think people get hung up on terms and words a little too much. But melanated is a a gentle, euphemistic way of saying it. So. <laughs> There, I've done my job at making myself sound smart for the day. Now I can go be a, an idiot for the rest of the day. <laughs> so did you have anything like Man, in your mind as far as subject matter for the day? or? Well, I'm, I'm reeling from a terrible tournament showing. I had a oh that that needs to be discussed. I yes, for so, sure we need to talk about. I think yeah, there's a, a life lesson to be learned here, and you can help me through. You can play therapist if you will. Yeah, yeah. And so, and there's a pile on factor. So I'll walk people through it. So we had the Minnesota State, um, Minnesota Bass Nation Tournament of Champions. So this is like a this is a club system. I want to get a little background for other hunters that may be listening that aren't well versed in fishing or other fishermen that might not know how this works i'll give you the cliff notes of how this works this is kind of like a farm club system for the pros so you could go and just spend the ten thousand dollar entry fees and and travel across the country and join all these opens and win your way into like the super bowl of bass fishing which would be the Bassmaster classic or you could join one of these bass sanctioned clubs and you can win your way that way too um which is a lot less money and the clubs are relatively cheap to join there's no huge entry fees. Even the entry fee for the state tournament is like 45 bucks. Like it, it's not it, it's not a ton. Of course, you do have to pay for gas and traveling and hotels and all that other nonsense. But anyways, I digress. So the top whatever, and I won't get into super details about it. The top whatever of the state tournament then qualify to fish the regionals, and then you win the regionals, and you go to nationals, and if you do well in the nationals, you can find yourself in the Super Bowl of bass fishing at the the Bassmaster Classic, which is what every young bass angler watches on TV, and you know that's the dream, right? To someday stay on, stand on that stage and raise that trophy and get all the endorsements and blah 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 blah. So, anyways, that's what happened last week, and I went up there and we had practice. Started on Saturday, and I had a good day of practice. Put together a solid bag. Uh, Monday was a little rougher, but still found quality fish. Tuesday, it's off limits. You go to meeting, you know, and they have the rules tournament thing. And then the tournament is Wednesday, Thursday. If you qualify, then you fish Friday. And then three chips fall where they may. I had two pretty dog shit days of tournament fishing. <laughs> I did not do well. Five fish bag limit. I only caught four the first day and they were small. So four fish for 5.2 pounds. It's terrible. I did slightly better day two. I caught my five fish for like 12 and a half pounds. Uh, but in general, you need 15 pounds a day to make the state team. And so I fell well short of that. So I was very, very frustrated about that. There's a saying with this two-day tournament that uh, I learned the hard way. You can't win it in one day. Meaning if you went out there and you did well day one, that's great. 
but you still need to do it again day two. So you can't win it in day one, but you can lose it in day one. And that's exactly what I did. I put myself in such a hole that no matter how well I fished day two, it wasn't going to be enough to overcome that deficit. And so that was a hard pill to swallow. And that carried with me. That was that was that was tough. I, I, usually, if I do not that great on a tournament, you know, I'll be kind of pissy for that day. But then I'll wake up like, well, today's a new day. Let's go on. But this one was kind of hanging with me. And so yesterday, I'm up here at my favorite lake, Pelican Lake in Minnesota, where I live. I'm like, all right, I'm gonna go out here and feel good about myself. I go out, catch a couple nice fish. Everything's going great. And then my trolling motor breaks. And when I mean my trolling motor breaks, I mean it broke in half somehow. I don't even know how it happened. So now I was defeated again last night. And here I sit this morning still with a bad taste in my mouth. So what things, Phil, have you done in the outdoor space that are somewhat similar to that? Like a bad hunting outing, a bad guiding outing. I don't know if you've ever done any of those coyote tournaments or like... What have you done to kind of walk yourself through when you have a bad outing? And, like, wasn't really serious, but kind of 16th serious where I say stuff like, that's it. I'm selling all my okay. shit and I'm taking I are, it. I already, have a, I already <laughs> have a story, but we're, and we're going to circle back to that. So just real quick on your fishing tournament stuff. I had an amazing uh, in-depth conversation yesterday with the one they call Steve Lee. Oh, I, saw, I saw him did, out there. Oh, what? You guys were yeah. doing the same tournament? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he was out there. Dude, he was flying across the lake, and his, his I don't know what happened. Maybe he, his lower unit fell off or something oh, like that. Oh, shit, did he hit something? I don't know, but I'm just, just bear with me. His lower unit fell off at high speed because it was on a big lake. It was he had to he had to go 18 miles to where he was going to go, and he was going full speed, and his lower unit fell off. He did a fucking 360 at high speed, man. And he's, he stayed in the boat somehow. I didn't hear about that. And he fucking, he finished in ninth place. What was there, 100 teams? Yeah, just under, yeah. Yeah, he finished in ninth place. I don't know if you knew that or not. I, don't, I didn't see where he finished, no. Ninth fucking place, so that qualifies him for something really awesome, but I don't know what it is. Yes, yeah, so he, he's, he made the regionals. Well, the... They changed it. So this is getting into the weeds and people that know, know, people that don't know. It's like, these are just words. But it used to be called regionals, but now they're called qualifiers. They changed the rules just this year. So it used to be the top 10 qualified for the regionals. You'd go and fish as a state team in the regionals. So you would represent Minnesota in the regionals. Well, they've changed it. Now the top six of the TOC skip regionals and go straight to nationals. And then the next 10... So down to, what, 17th or 16th or however that works. Um, I don't want to do math. Now you you will qualify with what were called the regionals are just now called the qualifiers. So you're, it's an individual um, challenge. You're not rep it's not a state team anymore. So it's like it's just you, but now you have to go qualify for nationals. So that's kind of semantics, kind of whatever. But – it did increase your increase the amount of people that could make it to nationals, basically. So if you did really well, and it sounds like Steve did, he came in what ninth? Ninth. Oh yeah. no! So he didn't. He doesn't skip. He doesn't skip straight to nationals. He had then now he gets to fish next year for the qualifier. So that's okay. cool. Good job, Steve. Well done, sir. 
lost your lower unit, I shouldn't and complain because that's, that's way more expensive than my trolling motor. <laughs> and that's, you know, that just falls into kind of what we're talking about a little bit right now, like just having a Debbie Downer, like something horribly goes horribly wrong and you just power through it and you achieve success anyways. Well, I despite mean, the hangups, to, to not be a to negative Nancy here, I did power through. You know, I was struggling. Yeah, I wasn't I finding the bites. I powered through and I, I didn't come out on top. <laughs> so I didn't make the team or I didn't make the qualifier. Like, man, I, I gave her hell. Me and my co-angler day two, we stumbled on a good pattern right at the end of the day. We had like we pulled into our last spot with an hour left and we started fishing. We started catching right away. And then, you know, after a few minutes paying attention to details, I'm like, this is why they're here. And then, you know, we'd fish a spot that looked similar but wasn't, and then the fish weren't there. And then all of a sudden we stand like, oh, and now here they are again, and we start getting bit. And it's like, now I know what to look for, and we have 10 minutes. We have to go way in. So so you weren't winning, and you also weren't losing, but you were learning, weren't you? I did learn. I did, I did learn is, something to put in my valuable. cap. That is valuable. We're not, we don't win. Uh, we don't win or lose. We win or learn. Either we're winning or we're learning. Those are both good things. Yeah, it is. And I, I, I've learned something about my – another thing I learned about myself, and I don't know what to quite do with this information, but when I'm in that kind of pissy mood, I've learned I need to just uh, – I don't know if this is the right Usa. word. Ruminate. Usa. You just got to <laughs> just, just let me be. So all, all those friends and my club members, you know, they're just like, you know, they'll show their sympathy and they'll give you words of encouragement. But as advice to other people, do that. That's great. I appreciate Then You know, I acknowledge that you care for me. I acknowledge the good words. Now you have to leave me alone. If you keep mm-hmm. saying it, I start getting really pissed off. Yep, yep. <laughs> like, let it, just let it lie. You're just going to have to let me go through this. I just need to be alone now. It's harder to woosah if you got all the bugs in your ear. <laughs> woosah, yes. Woosah. I think uh, Martin Lawrence help me out here. Woosah. Man, is that I... is that is that um, is that uh, dang it? Him and Will Smith did a movie. Uh, yeah. Um. Uh, oh my God, bad Never boys. Really Thank you. Fucking thank you. Jesus Christ. I hate when that happens. Yeah, I was like, I can't yeah, think of it. What they're all the, I was running through all the cop movies, Usa. and I was like, this, there's just a fucking music. There's a Usa. song. <laughs> it's the cops show. And then it popped into my head. So. Um, so circling back to having a bad experience, um, now a story came to my mind right away. Uh, and this will be fun. Uh, back in the Minnesota Waterfowler forum days, okay? My handle was Goosenut. We talked we talked at length about that in one of our podcasts, and I never, you know, you were Bam and Jam, and I'm Phil Schmidt, but my handle was Goosenut, and I never fucking said that. Yeah, and we then, didn't say. I was like, I didn't. I was trying to think. Was it Goosebusters? Because that was your. No, it was Goose. It was Goosenut, and then on on uh, Nodak Outdoors, I was Bloody Blind Doors. Bloody Blind Doors was my handle on mm. Nodak Outdoors. So, um, during the during the Goosebusters days. Um, I had, there was, there was a time where I, I couldn't keep up with the demand. So I booked out another spread to friends who I knew and trusted. And at the time, Ben Cade was going to be running another spread for me. 
and we had a little gap between the regular waterfowl season. There was a week gap between the regular regular waterfowl season ended, and then there was a five week nothing until the late goose season opened in December, and then the limit went back up to five a day. So this this late goose season was very popular. It was in very high demand. You know, a lot of guys want to shoot honkers in the snow. I'm one of them. And so to, in order to keep up with the demand, I, I uh, hired one of my buddies to run his own spread. And uh, so today's we're counting down until the late goose opener, air quotes, and man, couldn't find nothing. I think he was, I, I'm not exactly sure where he was scouting. He couldn't find anything. And I did some scouting, like I fucking scouted all day. And I saw a total of seven geese fly over one of the properties I could hunt. Mm. And I was like, oh my God, what are we gonna do? We've got two spreads to run here. And so Saturday and Sunday, you know, we had two spreads to run Saturday and Sunday. And Ben was just stressing out big time. And I said, Ben, this is what I'll do. I'll I'll take both groups of clients on both days. I'll run two different groups of clients on Sunday, one morning group, one afternoon group. And I'll do the same thing on Sunday. I'll run a morning group and an afternoon group. And I'm just gonna do the best I can with what I got. It's not much, but if we can get, you know, these guys a little bit of shooting and uh, whatever, like, I don't worry too much about stuff until I'm presented with it and I have to deal with it. You know, my biggest fear as a guide is to get a zero. That's where, you know, the clients have no opportunities. Um, and I, I just didn't know what was going on. I didn't, I was not going to worry about it. Ben, I'll run your clients too. So this was, this was a hunt in Hutchinson, Minnesota. And this was in the early days. There was a roost in Hutchinson that I still didn't know about, believe it or not. And that roost was fucking shit stacked. And the day that I was scouting was cold and clear. So the birds weren't really moving at all. There was a, a, a minimal amount of water to water activity, but the birds just weren't feeding. And that's why the scout was so bad for me and probably for Ben too. Well, the next day, early season goose opener, you know, I told the clients, like, I, I don't have the highest expectations. And I even made a post on MinnesotaWaterfowler.com before I'm like, dude, whoever's hunting late season geese opener, like, let's all just, here's, here's the late season goose opener post. I'm just going to make a post or a thread about this. And let's, let's all just kind of keep each other's chins lifted up here because it's not looking good for anybody. And, uh, I must have looked like an asshole because that <laughs> next day, that next day it was cloudy and all those birds on that roost that I didn't know about yet. I mean, they were all in the air. It was cloudy all day long. So the birds were flying around all day long and we crushed, we crushed the limit that morning. And then I called the clients for the afternoon and, and said, get here as early as you can. And they got there as early as they could. We crushed another limit in the afternoon. Then it was cloudy the next day too. In the late season, clouds are a game. You need to have clouds. 
so then the next day, Sunday, I ran a group of clients in the morning and in the afternoon. We just, I mean, in, in that weekend, in that weekend, in those two days, we killed 92 geese. Dang, nice. That's such a much better story than mine. And and running, <laughs> running, running, you know, just, just uh, running small groups. You know, I don't know. I had like five or six people on each hunt. Any bands? Maybe one band. Yes, one band. This Only one. This, this has a happy ending. My story did not have a happy ending. And then I get back on that post <laughs> that I was having a sob story about. And like, well, we wrecked them. You know, like, here's all the pictures. Like, I don't know. <laughs> you know, like, like I said, I probably look like a fucking asshole because here I am, like, trying to gather the troops and inspire everybody and like, Hey man, it's going to suck. Let's we're all in this together. And then I come back and yeah, we just had a record setting two days. Sorry about that. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if that was supposed to make it feel better or not, but <laughs> no, it was, yeah, um, but you didn't give up though. My, you... my, the, the, the feather in my cap and I've had this, this is kind of my TOC experience. I, and I tell boaters when they get in my boat, I said, listen, I might not do well, but there's a good chance you will. I have a good, record of sending people to state or to send people to the regionals or qualifiers so my day one guy he didn't make it but my day two guy did well he i don't know i have to see how he did but um yesterday i I forgot to look but he he was able to he did well enough to fish again friday so and he had to overcome a two pound um penalty that he got day one because his they were late coming into weigh-in which I talked to another angler about this. I'm like, I don't know if that's fair for Coe's because you're not driving the boat. You're not making the decision. You know, if if your boater runs the red line and he screws up and gets you there late, you're a prisoner of his boat. Like, I don't know that you should have to suffer the same penalty. You know, because he was saying, he's like, I think we need to get going. You know, we got some big lake. We should probably get back. He's like, oh, we got time. And then – I mean, two pounds is a lot, especially on the co-angler side. Again, here's some more details that people might not care about. But the co-anglers only have to catch three fish. That's their bag instead of five like a like a, a boater would. So a non-boater only needs three fish. But if you think about it, two pounds out of three fish versus two pounds out of five fish, I mean, it's two pounds out of five fish is still can definitely knock you out of it. Two pounds on three fish, that's huge. And so he was still able, you know, was still able to put him in a, in a fishy enough area where he caught good enough fish to qualify for to fish for Friday. Now that reminds me, I need to go in and look and see if he what he did with that opportunity. But I'm hoping that two pounds didn't bite him in the ass. But there's there's a chance it might have kept him out of uh, fishing for the qualifying event next year. But anyways, that's so that's my would- my saving grace is like, well, at least I put people on fish. If even if I couldn't capitalize on it. At least my co-angler, you know, got some benefit out of it. Would you like me to share a story that is, it, it, it ends worse? Would you like something that is more <laughs> if fitting? There, if there is a lesson to be learned there, sure. Okay, I can't think of one right okay. now. I'm not, really, I'm not really a misery loves company person. It doesn't actually okay, make me feel okay. better. Because if, just... if I found something, I'd share it. But no, I, I mean, it was only... No, only if there was like a good lesson or something. Like we we've all had it. We've all been here, right? This isn't this isn't uniquely new to me. I'm not doing the oh woe is me. Why does this always happen to me? Blah 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 blah. Um, 
I mean, I had a little pity party last night, if I'm being brutally honest, when my trolling motor broke. I was like, of course it did. Because why? Of course it did. Why wouldn't it? You know, it's like kick a man while he's down kind of a thing. It's like, oh, my God. <laughs> so because I got there was so the emotional roller coaster. So I just found out that two of my buddies are actually up in this area this weekend. So I was like, oh, hell yeah. And my one good buddy who's a, a friend of the show as well. Tony testing from hometown heroes outdoors. He he's staying on Vermilion. There's a shit ton of people at this like amazing looking VRBO. And he's like, yeah, we're up here for however many days. Like, you should come out and have a beer and take me fishing. I was like, hell yes, on both accounts. And then I was, you know, then I sent him a picture last night. I'm like, yeah, about that fishing tomorrow. <laughs> I, don't, I don't have a trolley motor. So that pissed me off. I have another buddy that's up here doing some fishing at a cabin. It's like, god dang it. I was going to head down to that lake. and Because this is the lake. So Lake Vermilion is the lake next year that has that is hosting the tournament of champions so it's like well what better time to start learning it than right now when is the same time of year that you actually fish the tournament like this is like the most valuable information you could get and even though it's relatively close to where i'm at up here i i rarely fish that lake because why would i leave this one this one has everything i need and it's right here so what organization was that you just mentioned hometown hero outdoors hho okay do you do you have any experience with fallen outdoors? The fallen outdoors? A little bit, yeah. Yeah, I think, cool, I've, I think I've talked to those guys. Okay. Does the name Eric Bakken ring a bell? Vaguely. Okay, okay. So he was he was a pigeon hunting client of mine back in the day, and uh, he's just an incredible individual. Um, a marine sniper, and my God, the stories that you know, oh, yeah. some of those some of those military guys are pretty closed mouthed about. You know, I've got I've got well, one of my best friends in the entire world, Tim Burns, is a retired Navy SEAL, and I didn't even know that about him. Uh, I, I'm embarrassed to say for about ten years, you know, because well, what do you do for work? I'm a military contractor. That was his answer. So, anyways, sure, yeah. Eric Eric is not Eric is not like that he is you know and i had i had a, another waterfall hunting client who was like that as well no bob was more kind of close lipped it took a few years for him to kind of bob bob peterson is uh the goosebusters mvp we'll get into that later but he was a uh, retired uh vietnam vietnam he was in vietnam a machine gunner it took him a while to to tell a story or two but eric Eric was, you know, he was all about the stories, and fuck, I love those stories. You know, Eric Bakken has some incredible stories of being a Marine sniper, and uh, if you go to the Facebook page, uh, Pigeon Hunters Worldwide, go to the Facebook page, and look at the uh, cover photo, the picture is of Eric and his then lovely wife, and I think they're not together anymore. And I think he got remarried. And uh, I don't think he's with her anymore. I think he might be married again or single. I, I'm not really sure. But Eric's a great guy. <laughs> Falling outdoors. They, and they're they're still around. Yeah, you know, yeah, they are. I, I think I think Eric, Eric was one of the leading guys. Like he might have been the pioneer or one of. I don't know if it was him and a buddy or him and two buddies. 
who that was kind of their idea, but I know that Eric is for sure one of the founding fathers of Fallen Outdoors. He's a great guy. Wanted to give him a shout out. Yeah, that's awesome. So <clears throat> my brain started clicking. So I've done a fair amount of work with HHO. So the tournament ice fishing league that I'm in, Minnesota Made Outdoors, we do an event every, we have an annual event every year um, that we put on for HHO. We have an HHO tournament. So um, volunteers for Minnesota Made take a day out of their pre-fishing schedule because it's the day before our tournament. And we guide a team of HHO members, and they have their own little derby. And it's it's, it's so much fun. And I, I, can, I know I can speak for everybody involved that this is our favorite time of the season. It's not any of our actual tournament days. It's not any it's, – it's, like, it's so much fun, and you feel – it's so rewarding. And these people, like, they, they trip over you. Or they trip over themselves to like thank you, and it's the weirdest things. Like, no, this is weird. why are you thanking me? Like, this is me thanking you. Like this, you know, for your service, for your sacrifice, for what you know you've done. And and it, it's, it, I know it all sounds cliche, but it, it's a hundred percent true. And I made some really good friends over the years doing it. And uh, even though I didn't serve, like I'm super tethered to um, that organization and just and veterans and active military in general um because it has it's not lost on me that we have a volunteer military in this country and i thanks to the sacrifices of others have the had the ability to choose whether i wanted to go into the military or not and i would be lying if i didn't say that i don't carry around a little bit of guilt that i didn't my dad served in the navy my brother served in the navy and mm. then i didn't so um yeah i carry some of that around but where I was going with that is, you know, there's a few times where you've posted, you've sent, you know, like, hey, there's a pigeon hunt, you know, or if you can, if you can be at X at whatever time, you know, coming out or shoot me a message or whatever. So what I would want to, uh, an idea I want to flow past you right now is if you have another situation like that, I can give you contact information for the people that run HHO and they have a huge network, and they can blast their network and feel like, hey, I have room for four or five vets or whatever, you know, HHO members. Because uh, HHO doesn't, it's um, veterans, active military, law and law enforcement personnel. Uh, so what is, what is HHO's Hunters? Hometown Heroes Outdoors. Okay, got, got it. Got yeah. It. <laughs> so if, if you did that, they would go to their, their website, their internal um website or, or facebook page or whatever and they would say hey does anybody want to do a pigeon hunt it's gonna be here here's the time and dates and then they'll fill that spot and then you'd be hunting with some badass people for a pigeon hunt right just, just throwing it out there i mean not, obviously yeah, you don't yeah. have to but if you find yourself in that situation where your buddies can't you know it's midweek or whatever and you would rather hunt with somebody than hunt solo there's an option uh, I'm going to make you aware too. I am coming into the hills of northern Nevada. Okay. So I'm just I'm just mentally preparing you. We may lose service. With I was that gonna, said, I was going to ask you where you were at, but um, we can kind of start winding this one down because of the fiasco huh? last night. I do have to make a two-hour run to go pick up a replacement trolley motor. So we've been talking for ten minutes. Bullshit. 
We're not going to wrap it up. Thirty-seven right. minutes, technically. Speaking of that, speaking <laughs> of that, when are you going to release those other two episodes that we have in the hopper? I gotta put one up. I meant to do it yesterday. In fact, I was in the process of putting up the second one yesterday, uh, and my battery died on my laptop, and I didn't have my okay. So today, charging that? cords. Yeah, actually, when we're done recording today, which if people today, as you're listening, to this is probably not going to be today. In fact, I know it's not. This is August 5th, a Saturday yeah, morning. Yeah, by the so time they hear this. I generally try to get them up on Fridays, which I attempted, but I failed because I didn't have the right equipment because I didn't bring the um, the uh, cord, power cord with me, and my laptop died while I was uploading it to the site. So I will do that when, I, when we're done with this one. But this one is – there's another one in front of this, so you won't actually hear this one for uh, a couple weeks. Right, right, right. So, yeah. Um, but anyways, I digress. So, yeah, that's that. Well, just let me know if it starts getting sketchy, then we'll wrap it up at that point in time. But, yeah, we can we can, we can can forge ahead, as it were. But, yeah, no, uh, I really like those that organization. And so, yeah, that was Salt. That's where we got off on the tangent to bring it back because that was Salt yep, in the Moon yep. that I had. I was so looking forward to this weekend because, like, this emotional roller coaster, right? I was down from the tournament. I was down from my, you know. Or no, then then all of a sudden I got lifted up because I was like, sweet, I got buddies that are up here. Like, fuck that term. I'm going to go have fun. I'm going to hang out. We're going to do whatever. And then my trolling motor breaks. And then right back down to the basement emotionally. It's like, son of a bitch. Yeah, so when Steve's lower unit fell off, and, like, that, that's, that's like, on the verge of a near-death experience. Bro, like, that's, think, that you know? is not, like, that is not a little deal. Like, I wish right. I would have talked to him more. And I, and it's just so busy. Like, I saw him, like, we're getting ready for weigh-in and stuff, you know. And I'm like, hey, Steve. And he looked at me. I know he didn't know who I was. But and he said hi or whatever. And I just didn't have time. I never – you get – I had a moment. I was like, I'm going to go track Steve down and just, you know, really introduce myself again. Because I've met him before in the past. I actually sold the truck to him. And um, – but – So he had a club member. He, after that happened – he actually had a fucking club member bring him another boat. Can you believe that shit? I can't what believe. What kind of fucking power does Steve Lee have? Oh, I can't can you believe guys bring me another butt? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll we'll be right there with it. Jesus I can't Christ, believe Steve. that okay. shit because and and that speaks volumes <laughs> to the sportsman mentality because um, Dana Carlson, the president of our club, she brought her. She's fishing as a co, but she brought her boat up just to fish for fun, you know, while we were practicing and stuff. But then there was another person that had issues with their boat and she offered her boat same thing she's like well you can use my boat if you want need to but then that guy actually had another friend that so she didn't end up he didn't end up using her boat he ended up using another buddy's boat so yeah um you know it's a it's a community and people do rally you know for all the you know there's some bad apples out there there's some bad stories out there people can be cut throughout when it's a competition but as a whole the outdoor community, in my experience, has more times than not stepped up and will come together as a community when they find somebody in need. I'll, I'll share a story. I don't think she'll mind. This is Dana. So this was kind of, she felt that this would be her paying it forward for, you know, offering her boat to somebody that might need it. A couple weeks ago, somebody had stolen her graph off of her boat out of her driveway and those are not cheap and uh, so she was 
in the you know she had made a Facebook post and whatever, and she's like, it's not a big deal. She's like, I'm not really worried about the actual equipment. She's like, what sucks is all my waypoints, all you know, all the years that I've spent plugging in, you know, this fishing spot, that fishing spot into her GPS. She lost all that information, which you just can't. No matter how generous as somebody is, you can't get that back. So that's kind of what she was lamenting about. And then someone said, well, hey, I got your exact same unit. You can use it, you know, if you need to for the state tournament. And, you know, until you get, until you find one. And then, so she's like, that'd be awesome. Cause she had a, it wasn't actually, wasn't a state tour. She had a separate tournament coming up. It was a team trail event, I believe. And then, so she did that. And then when she was done, she's like, okay, well, here's your, you know, here's your unit back. And he's like, no, it, um, Christmas came early this year. And she's like, what? He's like, no, just keep it. I have it. It's, it's actually an extra one. Actually, it's just sitting in my garage. I never use it. He was just like, just pay it forward. Oh my God. And she was like, well, no, I need to give you something. And he's like, don't. And then she learned a lesson because, and I do want to spe- like pass this on to the people because I've struggled with this too. When somebody bestows a gift upon you, especially if it's a <clears throat> pretty valuable gift, <laughs> just take it. Because when, when you over, not apologize, when you over, I don't know what the term would be, but like when you're like, no, I can't take this. I can't accept this. It like, makes it, it weird. It, it not only it does weird. it make it weird, but it, it actually, if you keep pressing, it goes into, like, now you're being offensive. And now, because I've done that. I've been generous to people, and when they're like, no, I can't take it. At some point in time, I'm like, well, fine, I'll fucking take it back. I ain't going to give you anything then, you ungrateful prick. You know what I right, mean? Like, right, right, the right. human nature switch flips. So if somebody's being gracious to you, accept that gratitude or that graciousness and just and you know let them know that you're very appreciative and then just move on move on let it lie right. don't talk about yeah, it anymore in the very beginning up. in the very beginning days of you know guiding like it was difficult for me to accept tips yeah it was, it's a, it's it a difficult, difficult thing for me so, to accept tips you know so she finally she finally was like yep i just she's like thank you like that's incredible i mean that's literally like a 1500 dollars gift it's not cheap I don't know exactly what unit she had or what. I mean, it could even be more than that. I don't, I don't remember exactly what she had, but they're not cheap. I know that. So um, so that was cool. And so her thing was like, oh, I'm going to pay it forward. I'm going to offer my vote, you know, to if somebody needs it. That wasn't – she didn't go into it thinking if somebody needs it, I'm going to do that. But when that situation arose, she was like, well, here's my chance to pay it forward. And then didn't end up happening, but the intent was still there. So I'm going to give her props for that. And that's a big I, deal, uh, letting somebody use your boat, like tens of thousands of dollars of equipment. <laughs> like, whew, that's a, that's a, that's a leap of faith right there, for sure. But I'm um, kind of that way too. No, I mean I'm I'm one to be like, yeah, go ahead, use it. You know, even though I'm hesitant to use somebody else's stuff because I don't. Even if it like, if I was using somebody's boat, and then let's just say a spark plug blew up, right? Nothing I did wrong it just because sometimes shit happens and boats break and machines break i would still feel personally responsible even though i know that if i had loaned my boat out to somebody and something like that happened i would not hold them responsible you know if it was something that just like happened now if they if they fucked up and they went somewhere where they shouldn't or whatever they crashed it well that's yeah then 
<laughs> you need to pay my insurance deductible or something, you know, like that was your responsibility. But if it was something that was out of their control that happened just on their watch, I for sure would not hold them responsible. But if I if the roles were flipped, I would feel so responsible, even though it wasn't my fault. You know, does that make sense? <laughs> yes, definitely. It's, it, it's, uh, it, it's a tricky situation, but yeah. It, uh. So I'm getting some feedback from friends and family uh, because at, at this time, at real time, uh, we've got one podcast available to the public for listening. Correct. And, uh, you know, I just told everyone, like, hey, man, constructive criticism, you know, tell me all the good, the bad. And actually, people, some people have reached out. I made a Facebook post about it, and nobody fucking, well, my Aunt Connie, she was very complimentary, or slightly compliment, slightly. complimentary on there. But, <laughs> but um, you know, I've, I've fielded several phone calls. And like, okay, you know, uh, that's good. So, you know, because I kind of want to, I want to polish this up because right now we'll call this like the rough draft. You and I are just kind of getting started mm -hmm. and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm gathering as much data as possible. So I just like to encourage my friends and family to keep, keep calling me or whatever uh, message me. Just like, just what do you think of the podcast? Like, you know, like what can we improve? What's good? You know, what do you want more of? You know, like Isaac Seeker, for example, said, Oh, I would like to hear more about how you got into hunting. Also, I'd like to hear more about how you got into guiding. And I'm like, yep, that's all going to happen. You know, that's all going to happen in the future, like when, when we get around to it. Like I have I have a mountain of topics, you know, that we're going to have long, detailed podcasts about. You know? Good. Great. I'm, I'm ready for it. No, I get I, the, the input I get is always um, – I'll call it passive input. So I don't have a lot of people. I really rarely get negative comments, which in the world of the Internet is, is remarkable. So I take that for what it's worth. And then I will get some, I will get a, a random message once in a while, like, hey, I really enjoyed X guest or X podcast. But the passive ones I get that I really like is I'll just get a message from, and I have some, like, we'll call them regulars or, or, or um, um, about listeners of the podcast that'll send me messages from time to time but every now and again i'll get a random from somebody i haven't heard before and it won't be like an introductory kind of message they'll just go uh, they'll they'll make either a statement or they'll answer a question that was asked during the podcast so oh, okay. somebody like let's say we talked about like this exact one like I wouldn't be surprised if I got a message that was like, "Oh man, I had a I'll get a I'll get a message or a story from somebody I haven't heard of yet, a listener I haven't talked to or connected with. I'll get a random Snapchat message or a Facebook message or whatever, and it'll just be like, "Hey, listen to the podcast, but you know, with this." And it's like, "Man, I had this tournament and they'll give me this story." And it's like, "That is so cool." And it's like because they're the tone of that connection is like they go into that not introductory like hey we haven't met here's who i they just they jump right in as we've been lifelong friends because they've probably been listening for a while and kind of they've developed a relationship with the show not necessarily yes. with me but with the show so they have a familiarity and i actually really like that so i want i want to throw that out there so if, like 
don't feel weird. Like, if you want to send me a message, don't think that you need to, like, introduce yourself. Like, just send me a message. I love it. Like, it, it, it lets me know that people are listening. And it's that kind of motivation that really, it really means a lot. And it really keeps me forging ahead for times where I'm like, you know, like we've talked about. Where I was like, I didn't know if I was going to keep doing this, you know. And, uh yeah, so go into your go go into your Facebook Messenger right now, please, if you're able to. Are you able to? Me? Yeah, I think so. Okay, okay. So go into your Facebook Messenger. In it. Find find me. Find our Messenger box. Okay. We'll Tell me when you're there. it. Yep, I'm there. Well, I don't know that we have okay, any. Okay, scroll. Scroll. Uh, what? Wait, hold on. Have we been messaging on? Well, I pulled your name up and I just got a blank. Uh, thing but let me just scroll through uh, no hold on where is it hang with me here this is this is podcast gold right here uh, <laughs> unless we haven't actually sent a message for a while no we should have a lot in the facebook messenger of, yep in facebook messenger yes while i'm scrolling i'm already into march I'm not. See, oh, so you're not seeing any show. any any conversation at all that we have through right, Facebook. Hold on. Here's what I'm gonna do. This might be a, a hack. I'm gonna. I'd already I searched you. There you are. I'm gonna go into the thing and then I'm just texting hi. And if there is a history, it should pull it up. And there is no history. So we must have been con we we've been talking via text message, I think. Okay. Well. I thought I had the answer to one of our questions. One of our questions was, how the fuck did you and I connect? And oh. I thought the answer was, I reached out to you on Facebook Messenger and said, call me with my phone number. And then you called me that day or maybe the next day or something. Uh, let's see. But now, now, and I didn't research this at all. I just assumed that's what it was, but I'm wrong. Now I'm back to not knowing what the fuck. <laughs> <laughs> maybe it's instagram I don't did know. i get no i don't do instagram okay i think did i did i ask mick johnson for your phone number and then i just texted you call me you know what's spell? weird this is this mick, is going to our going to our text log i did it's weird I, I, I scrolled all the way back and the first one that comes up unless it's not backed up or something was from mark march 16th uh 2022 uh, I sent, wait, is this me? Sent was calling it, will do. Yeah, okay, I'm the one on the right, I'm in the blue. Just got this from Dean, and it was about the, uh, bird oh, yeah, influenza. Oh, yeah, Squaw Creek thing. Or, yeah, uh, yeah, and then Squaw you, you asked me, City. am I still in South Dakota? I said, yep, and then you're like, call me, you have time? I said, will do, and I said, call me. You sent me a picture, 23.2 yards of a dead prairie dog and a pistol. <laughs> greatest shot ever i still i still to this day cannot believe i hit a prairie dog at 23.2 yards dude i i just whatever and then it was stuff about the hunt that. that unfortunately didn't happen this last spring um and then that was and that was it we must have been okay we must not text much that's it like all of a sudden now we're like right away back to where we are today and i think you just call me more times than me that's weird i thought there were more messages too but 
That's bizarre. Okay. Well, whatever. Unless that was the brief moment you had Snapchat for a hot minute. No, uh-uh, absolutely not. Okay. Well, whatever. Sure. It was, it was we'll divine just... intervention. Yeah, there's a question mark still floating around, and it's going to continue floating around. You know what, and it's very possible that it didn't back up on my phone or God knows what happened on that text message thread or it's not loading up more history or something. Who knows? So my biggest, my biggest, my my biggest thing about the podcast is my audio quality. Yours obviously is flawless, but mine, I just don't like the phone connection. It annoys the fuck out of me, and I, I voice that. And I'm getting pretty good feedback from that that from other people who are like, no, it doesn't bother me. It you know, it doesn't bother me at all. And I'm like, okay, that that makes me feel better. Um, I am thinking about getting uh, what's called a Wii Boost. It's like a, a, a more powerful connector. Um, I don't know how to explain it. Like an antenna that goes on your vehicle. Mm. And I see them all the time. I see them all the time on adventure vehicles like uh, RVs, Jeeps, uh, ranchers, especially ranchers like in Wyoming. You know, where there's there's just poor service and these ranchers are out in the wilderness, you sure. know, tending the cattle and if they need help with something, there's no cell phone service. So I see a lot of these on ranchers' vehicles. So now they do have cell phone service in places, and that's one thing. Uh, well, that'll help I'm you get to be, that'll help you get solid service, but it won't help the audio quality. Yes, but how annoying would it be if we're into a really, really deep anything sort yeah. of conversation? <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? True, and then true. boom, we're no service. Yeah, like and it's bound to happen. It's, yep. it's bound to happen. No, what I will say, as a consumer of podcasts myself, that if the content is good enough, sound quality takes a backseat. Um, I've listened to a fair amount. Even Meat Eater has done some on-the-road podcasts, you know, oh, where they're okay. like they're traveling to a thing and they got the hunting crew is with them. And so you still have the – you only really hear the background noise right away in the beginning. And once you get into the conversation, you totally forget about the background okay. noise because okay. you're just you're just into the content um i've had multiple uh, uh multiple ones that i've listened to that have been on the road podcasts and um for me cause nick and i did one where we were like um on our way to hunt or scouting or doing something and those ones are kind of neat for me because did you did you guys do a pigeon hunt or not like a pigeon yeah, we podcast. did. Yeah, we did. Okay. And Continue. so it's like when you hear that road noise, especially when both parties are doing it and they're in the same vehicle, you know, it's like now I'm also in the vehicle with you. It actually kind of paints a picture like we're road tripping together kind of a thing. Right, you know, I right. don't know if, that's, if people are getting that vibe from what we're doing because my video or my audio is coming in clear and yours has got the road background noise. Um, but I listened to our last one and I listened to the whole thing and – I would say it falls under that category that after a while, you just get into the topic. You just get into the conversation, and, and the audio quality falls away. Um, mm-hmm. Nick was always kind of hung up on that, too. But one way we got around it, and this just doesn't really work for us because this wouldn't be safe while you were driving. But if I do it through the computer, like like a Zoom or I use StreamYard, that audio is better because it's not going through the airwaves. So what would what would happen is he would record on his device. So 
microphone directly to a device, and then he would email me that sound file, and then I would put it together, and I would match it with this. So I would just take out the road noise file and put in his clean file, match it up, and then we're out. It sounds like we're in the same room. And those worked. But you need good internet connection, which I haven't had for forever. So okay, okay. Uh, then, because then with if, with poor internet, we can do that. But then what happens is I sound robotic or you sound robotic. If the connection gets weird, you get that very digitally. You know, everybody's heard it. Like, oh, we got bad, oh, bad internet or whatever. You know, it gets all pixelated and it's just not great. So, I would say we continue to do this, and then, I mean, we just continue to do this. I mean, yeah, yeah. I agree. As long you as know, the just... conversations are good, which I, I would like to think that they are, it's not gonna matter that much in the long run. Sure, sure. As long as people can actually make my words out right yeah, right you know that's yeah. that's that's important to me that they know what i'm saying you know i listened to our last podcast too or the very first one actually um that's released i listened to that one and you know it's it's okay and my fear is like there's some words in there that people won't understand because of the poor quality i understand them because i'm the one who said them so i know what i said you know, but and I brought this up to other friends of mine. And they're like, "No, it, it's I could I could understand. Like I knew what you were talking about." And I'm like, "Okay, so I'm just overthinking." It. Yeah, know, I don't. I don't. That's remember. why I want the feedback because no. I want to know the difference between me overthinking and reality. So nothing there. jumped out at me. Um, good, good. When I listened to it, like, "Ooh, that's bad." You know, like I didn't really have. I didn't really have any of that. Um, yeah. You didn't have any cringe moments. Uh, not really. No, yeah, it, yeah, was, I, it was just, um, no, it was just, it was a good conversation, you know? Right, right. And some people might think it sounds weird, like, to go back and listen to the conversation that you personally had. But for speaking for myself, and maybe this is different for you and other people, but when I'm in a conversation, I'm in a conversation. And, you know, because when somebody's talking, you're listening as best you can, but your mind, at least my mind wanders sometimes. So then when I, you know, because like something you say triggers my thought process. I'm like, okay, this is what I'm going to say when I get a moment and then I say it. So when you're doing that, you know, people like to think they can multitask, but really you can't. I mean, it's kind of been scientifically proven that you're, that you can't. So when I go back and listen to it, now I'm, now I'm actually listening to every word that you say. Because now I'm not listening. Now I'm not like waiting for my moment to talk or, oh, I'm gonna, oh I have this question. Oh, I forgot. I'm going to say this or I'm going to ask this. Like I'm not running the show, if you will. So I'm able to just listen. And I get more out of the conversation than when I actually had it with you. You know, it's different when it's just you and me on the having a conversation and I'm not running a podcast, you know. Yes. But I'm not going to lie and say like when, I'm, when I know that I'm recording, I'm not – aware that I'm recording and then that it is a product that I'm trying to put out there. So yeah, I'm well, always also, managing and it. When you and I are having just a one-on-one -on -one conversation compared to when we're having a podcast, my intentions are different when we're having a podcast because, you know, I know that there's an audience out there and I want the audience to get. So I just, I just have a different like agenda when we're doing a podcast. Right. I'm trying to be more informational, like, yeah. And 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 I would and I would say that's great, but um and it and this hasn't been the case, but I would just say for anybody else out there, maybe you're thinking about doing a podcast. It's kind of like the personality of the podcast too. If you want it to be real 
meat and potatoes, you know, like a, like an audio magazine, then for sure do that more produced. But ours are more conversational. And I saw your thread, and the one person like, no, I really like real conversations. I don't remember the person who said that. but That was Connie. That was my yeah, – so, I think that was her. Yeah, well, if it was – thanks, uh, Connie, sure, if that sure. was the, yeah, if that thanks, was the case. Because I think that's important because – you know, one of the things you were kind of hyper aware of right away when we started doing this is like those rap going down those side things, going down those rabbit holes, and doing you know, like we need to stay on topic. It's like, well, yeah, that was a, actually a concern of mine is just having too much fluff. To you know? a point, but fluff is conversation, you know. And I think what Connie was saying is like she likes real conversation. Yes, and like there's actually value in it. If it was too staccato, if it was too, um clean uh there's a different word i'm trying to find i'm not it's, it's just not popping into my head but um it it would lose a lot of that personality i think so i've never really been afraid to wander off as long as we can pull it back in and i think we always do either you or me always again all right let's bring this back in you know when you when there when the conversation slows or it pauses a little bit it's like here's a good exit let's get back on the freeway you know, that was right. a really great frontage road. That was a really great back road. We got to see some cool shit, but now let's get on. Let's, it's a good analogy. Let's get back on the freeway and make some time. <laughs> you know, that's yeah. what we're doing. Yeah. We're trying to get to a, a destination. Let's let's hit it. So it's okay to take those detours, I think. I like them. I know when I listen, again, as a consumer of podcasts myself, I prefer that style. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because I get into the conversation with them. It makes my – and, you know, and sometimes I have to rewind a podcast because they say something that triggers my mind. Oh, yeah, And right. I go off in my mind. In your own thoughts, yeah, right? I, get, I go off on a tangent, and all of a sudden I come back to it, and I'm like, what are they talking about now? Oh, shit, I, just, I have no idea. So then I'll just, like, slide the little, you know, the scroller back 10 minutes that's or however fun. long I think I did and then pick up where I left off. You know, yeah, it's that's like, fun oh, when man. that happens, when you just drift off. You know, they, yeah. they have some keywords and you're triggered. Yeah, I get it. I get and it. you know it's a good conversation then because you got intellectually stimulated to the point yes. where you went off on it. you like, th- they've triggered a thought process in you. So they're, you know, so don't don't be too, you know, there's definitely a point where it's too much, you know, a point of diminishing your turn. Like <laughs> we talked <laughs> for 45 minutes and never talked about hunting or, or outdoors or whatever. Yeah, that's, you know, whatever. I mean, granted, I have podcasts like that, but they're designed like that. Like our, you know, flight companions are very loosely based in the outdoors, and it's more about drinking and just being ridiculous. But there's a time and place for those, too. But those are in that time and place. So on a regular Mm -hmm. one, if we never talked about the outdoors, yeah, that would be a problem. But I don't – knowing you, how passionate you are about the outdoors, and me, and how passionate I am about the outdoors, I don't really see that ever happening. Uh, you don't see you don't see what ever happening. Not like having an entire episode where we like get so far into the weeds that we never talk about hunting or outdoors or whatever. Oh, like, sure, sure. We, we, yeah, you yeah. and I are never going to do a forty-five minute podcast only on politics. You know, sure. we might mention politics; they might come up, we might take that detour, but we're always going to come back on and, and talk right. about the outdoors. So, and ironically, we're not talking about the outdoors right now. Do you want to get into, do you want to get into like a meat and potatoes, like a little meat and potatoes deep dive segment Uh, on something? Only if it, 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 does it follow the train of what we're talking about? Like getting, you know, bringing it back to that apprenticeship thing? Uh, 
No, this would be, I think, just because, like, pigeon hunting. But I don't know if I want to go down that. Yeah, I think let's it. let's keep it let's 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 keep it clean. Like, is there any like um? What is one? I'll see if we can find something. I'll try to make it topical. What um going to that apprenticeship thing? Is there a certain scenario that you've experienced either yourself or with somebody that you were mentoring, where it's like, yeah, you can't get this in a I class. I think I was. I think I was dating a girl one time. Oh. I think I was dating a girl one time and she didn't have any of the stuff and, and she wanted to come hunting and I think she took advantage of that because we or she looked looked up you know like what can I do or how much trouble am I going to get on get in if I just go hunting with Bill and I bring my gun and it's loaded and I shoot at stuff too. <laughs> I think she wanted to know like what was the risk, you know? Ah. And then I think then she found that and yeah, then, then she came hunting with me. And I think that's how I kind of found out about it. But I'm not exactly sure if that's what you were asking. Uh not exactly, but it's fine. There's there's there are no wrong answers, Phil. <laughs> there's only more information. <laughs> yeah. So come back. Go go back to what you were asking. Uh, is there is closer. there a scenario in which, you know, as a mentor, or maybe when you were getting into it as you were being apprenticed, is there a moment like where you had some sort of realization like you can't get this in a classroom? Like this isn't what firearm safety would have taught, or this like oh everything everything man. Well, for sure, you know, but like, I'm talking just, about like an extraordinary something like one specific yes um, if it's the, something that jumps out and if it doesn't i mean it doesn't you can't okay force this okay or whatever i'm not I'm putting, yeah, you on, say, putting you on the spot trying to get back on track is all sure sure <laughs> um no i can't think of any specific instance where i was like no you can't learn that in the classroom i mean that's been my whole life i fucking hate school i'm gonna <laughs> i'm gonna die on that hill fuck yeah school, i'm not fuck the classroom yeah i'm right there with you i mean i i think it's good for some people but it's definitely not. It's definitely not a one size fits all. Yeah, thing. it's not good for everybody, for sure. and the, the the schooling system needs to fucking recognize that it's not good for everyone. Instead of, you know, giving this kid an F and pushing them to the side with the others, like, you know, the teachers need to start being better at their jobs and recognizing that you know each kid is an individual. Not not all people are sheep. Teachers, okay. Right. Well, and I, yeah, I've had my, to, here we go off on another tangent, but I've had my theories with that. It's like, you know, you get the teachers don't make enough money and this, that, and the other thing. And I'm like, yeah, that's probably true. You know, they have one of the I, most important jobs in our society, but it's not just we need to pay teachers more. It's that then let's make teachers an occupation like a doctor or a lawyer so that only the best are teaching our youth. Right, right. And then not only yeah, I, are they structured differently or they're built differently, but our education system is built differently. So then we can acknowledge when there's somebody, when there's a square peg trying to fit into a round hole, then, you know, teachers that are well-trained and they acknowledge that, they're like, oh, you're a square peg. Let's put you in the square peg program. Right? Yeah, I had, I, I. I hated school, but I had a few amazing teachers that just 
helped me get through that. These are amazing teachers like Aren't Mrs. They? King, third grade, Mr. Right. Per, Mr. Perel, Watertown, Minnesota, Mr. Perel. If you went to Watertown, you remember Mr. Perel. He's an amazing, amazing teacher. Yeah, everybody remembers their amazing teachers. Like, they are so impactful. So, I mean, and that and that's to my point. It's like, let's get more of those, you know. Let's recruit more of those. Let's make it a lucrative um, occupation that attracts that quality, you know. And then I'm more than willing to throw more money at it and pay them to a higher standard. But they should be held to a higher standard. I don't think that's outrageous thing to say you know you would be like oh doctors right. don't get paid enough well he killed 12 people last week so <laughs> i mean you know what i mean it's like you wouldn't nobody would think that it'd be like well that's absurd yeah. well yeah of course it is absurd but it's the same thing it's like well that teacher didn't teach or he worse he you know crushed somebody's self-confidence made them think they were less or stupid and just because they weren't grasping the way that person taught. It's like, that's damaging our society. Why should that person be paid a lot of money? They did their, they did not do a good job. And I think that that's a lot of, I shouldn't say a lot of teachers, but those teachers are definitely out there for sure. I brought Mr. Perel on a duck hunt after school once, and we had a pair of ducks come in, and... They were, at that time, the most beautiful Drake Greenwing teals I had ever seen in my entire life. He killed one, and I killed one. And I had mine mounted. And uh, then my roommate's dog ate it. Oh, no. But but I got to enjoy it for a few years before it died. But it, it was actually a good mount, too, because with uh, bird mounting, yeah. You're rolling the dice. Anybody yeah, you bring your you trophy are. into the taxidermist. You know, you're rolling the dice. And I, I rolled the dice, and, and this was actually not the greatest known taxidermist. And he did a lot of bullshit work, but this one turned out really good. I mean, at the time, I didn't have any money, so I was looking for a deal, you know? Well, and so taxidermy is one of those things you get what you pay for. Yes. Um, for sure. Yes, and I, I can't say enough good. I, I wish I would have found Jerry with Flyway Taxidermy. I wish I would have found him earlier in life. Um, he, he's the one. Um, he does incredible work. So Jerry with Flyway Taxidermy, I highly recommend him. Um, but do your research because it was a long time ago that I did work through him. So I would do some more updated research and see if he's still around and see if he still has a good reputation. Do all that. But if... if uh, if he's still in the business, I would I would recommend him for sure. Yeah, uh, that's you get one shot at it. You know, they can't you can't redo it. Once all that stuff sets, it sets. Like, oh my god, there's the, nothing the you most, could, there's nothing you could do. There's no returning it for a better product. Like this the is the most trophy it. bird in my entire life that I ever killed was an adult speckle belly that I killed in Minnesota in the fall, obviously. And it was an incredible hunt, incredible memory, incredible looking bird. And I brought that to a taxidermist and uh, threw it away, Dale. Nice. I threw it away. Yeah, uh, I mean, if luckily, you look at it and all you do is get angry, you're probably better off just throwing it away. Because it's, yeah, so it's not doing what that trophy is supposed to do. Make you feel good, remember the hunt, all you see is like, he fucked it up. Yeah, you're better off. Some, just... I have some good pictures of that bird, so we're all we're all right, you know. 
Right, and that's good. Yeah, and I've had, you know, I, I went to somebody not cheap for mine, and, and they're good, but I'd say they're not great. Um, one of my biggest frustrations, and, you know, I'm not, and I'm not going to put this person on blast. There's no reason, but right, right. Um, one of my biggest frustrations is it's not what I asked for. And the most obvious example oh, was no. I shot a pair. I shot a pair of, of mallards late season, a drake and a hen. That the hen was one of the the biggest hens I'd ever seen. The drake just had just beautiful like that silver color on its back. You know, it's just like it's just gorgeous. Oh, yeah. Big blockhead, just gorgeous pair. <clears throat> and you know, we shot them. They were coming in. You know, and um, I wanted them. That's how I wanted them. I wanted them like they were landing. Yep. And I had found a picture. I printed off a picture, and I had given it to him. Now, in that picture, it was the – trying to think how it was. I think in the picture, it was, like, the drake first and the hen, but I wanted the drake following the hen, which would be more like real life, right? Oh, sure. <clears throat> and I wanted the – and the way they had the bodies in that – in the example I would found, I wanted the drake a little more back forward because I wanted to expose, like, the – or see that really cool back coloring that he had. The beautiful part, right, right? Yeah, it was awesome. And so when I went and got it, like, they were done well, but they weren't landing. They were taking off. So ex- exact opposite of what I wanted. And so, uh, like, while, they, while they were done, up, while right? they were done, I gave him a picture. Yeah, how like, do you This fuck is that what up? I want. Like, and so while they're still... It was still good taxidermy. I was like, this isn't what I wanted. Now, I could have raised the stank and be like, I want some money off or whatever, whatever. But it's just I'm not the guy to, like, send food back unless it's, like, you know, inedible or something. I paid my guy full price for that speckle belly, Yeah, I mean, I I gave him the money and and moving on. But it's like... I guess I need to find somebody else that listens, you know. And how many times have you heard someone say, oh, yeah, I brought my whatever to the tax service and he lost it? Yeah, that what that, that did fuck? happen to me one time. How the fuck do you lose someone's goddamn trophy? What the fuck, yeah, man? Yeah, that happened to me, too. I had a beautiful white Dude. belly blue. And I was like, hey, no, no rush, because I don't like to rush my taxidermist. I don't like. So for anybody, I, I, I'm okay. To you? I, yeah, I'm okay with it taking a long oh time as long God. as I get what I want. But when I'm like, hey, it's been, you know, nine months, just I'm just checking in. Update. Give me an update. Just, yeah, yep. where are we at? You know, not. I'm not saying get out of the freezer, start working on it. I'm just, you know, I, I'm thinking about it, and I just, you know, I just want to know. And he's like, and he's like, yeah, I'll get back to you. He's like, and then he sent me the message. Like, Dude, I, ha- I can't believe I have to say it, but somehow I, I don't have that bird. And, and again, I'm like. Oh my god. How? Like like did you had to have given it to somebody else? Like or I don't even know. Like how like it's in your freezer. They don't get up and walk away. Like how do you lose a bird? Oh my god. So yeah, that happened too. Uh, and there was what? that and it was that same taxidermist. So yeah, I'm just not using him anymore. So, and I have a speckle belly in my freezer, but I feel like I'm not. It's been in there for now, going on three years. It's probably freezer burned and not great. So, no, no, are. no, no. Bring it in. You bring it in, and you let the. Okay, so here's here's a crazy story. I had a uh, what was it? Mm, a bluebell. 
a Drake Bluebill. I think it was the first Drake Bluebill I had ever killed in my entire life, and it was in the freezer for a long, long, long time. And I brought it to Jerry at Flywave Taxidermy, and he's like, no, I'm, I, you know, there's a couple, I have a little tricks, you know. And I was like, okay, just good luck, fingers crossed. I don't know if you can do it, but yeah, I got back just a flawless dead egg. Well, what, what I, Bluebill. okay, well, I'll do that. You'll have to give me his contact info. Maybe I'll send this to him. Um, as you speak highly of him. So, but what I can see is that if they're, and I'll leave it. Uh, I won't have. I won't give him a body posture. I mean, like you do with this what you think should be done. Because let's say I wanted a certain way, but if there was any damage from freezing, where the bird doesn't look as great, like they can, they can, they can get creative and they can hide flaws, right? Like, sure. okay, well, if I put this wing down like this, you can't see that, you know patch or those broken feathers or that whatever so mm-hmm. i would just kind of give him a blank canvas be like you do you do the best you can and yeah and, and if you artist, don't and if it's not canvas. savable just let me know and i'll pay you for whatever time right. you know that you put into it when until you got to a spot where you're like yeah i can't save this then it's like okay here's a couple you know here's a couple hundred bucks thanks for your time yeah i've got you know, uh, i did I've it got, to myself so i've got a drake bluebill from him and i have that's that's on a dead hang just by itself a drake bluebill and then i've got another dead hang of a black duck and a drake pintail all birds were killed in minnesota and the the black duck uh, pintail dead hangs are like that that's my favorite mount of all time of my entire I've life that's still yet to shoot a black duck uh, had opportunities and just haven't capitalized on them uh, Nick Johnson got a black duck pintail because I think I, you know, he saw mine and he's like, oh, my God, I want to get that same thing. So he brought a bull sprig and a black duck to Jerry, had the same, had him do a dead hang up, the same thing. And his turned out fucking incredible as well. I, you it's know, kinda... I, I hope I hope Jerry is still rolling because he is a magician. It's kind of I mean, crazy he's, he's... how those good those dead, dead mounts look, right? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. They look good. Like, they're very pleasing to the eye for some reason. I don't know if it's tapping into our human psyche of a successful hunt or something, but they look great. I brought uh, I brought Oliver, young Oliver, on his first pigeon hunt, him and his dad. His dad was not carrying a gun. He was just observing. And uh, Oliver got his first pigeons. And those crazies. So Oliver's first pigeon was actually two pigeons in one shot out of the air, mind. And then later on, he killed a white winger that came in by itself and Sweet. killed it. They brought those three to the taxidermist, <laughs> believe it or not. So they got three pigeons at the taxidermist being done right now. <laughs> well, they're probably pretty cheap. As I've, I went to taxidermy school, didn't do anything with it, and I mounted a, a pigeon, and it was like super easy. Like you don't have their, they don't have a lot of fat on them. They don't have the fat, right? Or the, or the oils. Yeah, you don't have to flat like. The fleshing, you can scrape them with a butter knife. It's not a big deal. And, yeah, you just plop them together. Like, they're pretty easy. Like, to the point that I've thought about, like, if I were to get into serious pigeon hunting, which I'm not because of where I live now, it's like I would probably just order some materials, and I for sure could do them in my garage, and I would make my own stuff for decoys. Like, why not? Okay. You could do yeah, them pretty, you could do them pretty, you could do them pretty quick. I think you could do them really quick, actually. You know, and they don't have to be, 
you know, contest quality, right? Like, you know, no, no, the feathers just need to be there. (laughs) Get them basically on a, yeah, get them on a a loose mannequin, just like put them together, you know, get pigeon looking things with the right feathers on them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, yeah, if I think you, if you had six stuffers, pigeon decoys, man, I bet you'd be deadly. Yeah, guaranteed. Yeah, I bet they'd look great. I've even thought about to the point, like, you could put them on a hard plat, like, get, get a, like, a dove mojo and then drape the feathers over there, glue it to whatever, what, and disconnect the wings and then have like a stuffer spinner. Okay. Would it help? I don't know, but it'd be cool. <laughs> I'm going to tell people right now that uh, dove, mo- dove mojos are trash. And here's why. Because, and then they're so popular. Everyone has them because they're cheap and they, People use them for dove hunting and they use them for pigeon hunting. Um, and they are completely worthless, in my opinion. And let me explain why. Because the purpose of a spinning wing duck decoy is the flash of the wings. Okay? And if you have the wings are too small, and if the RPMs are too fast, if you got these tiny little wings, it becomes a blur. Correct, 100%. Now, the intentions of that decoy are completely fucking lost. Right. So, bigger wings, slower RPMs, it's got to have the flash. Doves, mojos, even teal mojos, even some duck spinners. There are lots of duck spinners out there that are just fucking worthless. Yeah, you can put them out there and make yourself think that you killed ducks because of that spinner, but reality is uh, that spinner didn't do anything. You know, right. you would have killed just as so many without that spinner. The spinner didn't have the effect because there's no flash. I've talked the about didn't have any visibility. I've talked about this with Nick when it comes to stuff like this. You know, when hunters can get in debates of what you know, does flagging work? Does flagging not work? Does this work? Does that not work? It, right. What's effective and what is a gimmick? There is a yeah, difference. Yeah, and it, but it's all objective because unfortunately, there's no way to test it with the scientific method because you can't reset the board. You That's can't. Correct. You can't go. Okay, birds. Everybody, back to your roost. Uh, we're gonna now yes. put however, the spinners out. However, and, I do have a lifetime experience and go with spinners, and I have seen the way the birds react to a good spinner, a good duck spinner, as opposed to like a dove spinner. I have hunted over dove spinners before, and you just don't get the same reaction or feedback from the birds there's a there's a pretty obvious difference but it's only obvious to those of us who have a ton of experience if you don't have as much experience as someone like me you may not recognize it you might put those dove spinners out there that are worthless right and shoot your six birds and be like god they came right into these dove spinners you know right let and me I, share and i'm let not me share. go ahead i'm go not ahead. necessarily poo-pooing that like but i'm just like this is where people get frustrated with me sometimes because they think i'm arguing with them and i'm not really it's just more of a oh, it's sure, a sure. it's an exercise in critical thinking it's just me going, okay, but with that said, again, because it's not in a lab setting, we can't rule out the fact that there were other factors that yes, may have very that may yes. have come into play that had maybe the birds just weren't in the mood to decoy that day for of 
weather or somebody's face moved or somebody hit a bad note on a call or whatever. You know, I'm just saying there's so many other factors, and that's the thing. It's like nothing can ever be said like hard line black and white when it comes to hunting because you can't reset the board. You can't test it in a lab setting. There's so many outside factors. Now, what you can do, which like you're getting to, is like your experience. Like, yes, this is anecdotal to a point, but I've seen it enough times that the percentage leads me to believe X is greater than Y or whatever. You know? Right, right, um, right, right. So yeah, that's I've just a, that's just the way my I've brain a, works. <laughs> I've got a story related to what we're talking about. Um, so hunting with pigeon hunting clients, I've I've had just a ton of pigeon hunting clients, and you know I usually use one or two spinners if the if the circumstances you know if it's if it's a good fit for the circumstances i'll use one or two spinners duck spinners and you know in a grain field so i have the decoys out there and i've got the one or two spinners the duck spinners that are effective and a lot of times you know like the the the, the prime the prime pigeon season is the entire month of august and we have doves like crazy in the state of minnesota during the month of August, we got doves like crazy. We're covered in them, um, but the dove season isn't open. So we're doing these pigeon hunts in grain fields that are just filthy with doves and we're, you know, decoying and killing pigeons. In the meantime, we've got hundreds of doves just flying by us. We've got the decoys out. We've got the spinner out there. The doves are completely ignoring the decoy spread. Like they're not even slowing down for the spinner or the decoys, the pigeon decoys. They're just doing dove things. And we will randomly have a dove just randomly land 30 yards outside the decoy spread. And there's always one client that pipes up and says, oh, my God, the doves, they just love that spinner. <laughs> ignoring the, the hundred. What are you talking about? Ignoring the hundred that flew right past it. <laughs> and that, that there lies in the mentality of society. Yeah, you see what you want. It's confirmation bias. Yeah, it's like you're completely ignoring the hundreds of doves that are completely ignoring us and the decoy spread. And there's that one dove that randomly landed in the field 30 yards outside the decoys. It didn't even decoy. It just landed 30 yards outside the decoys. Well, and, and, it, you're, and, and now you want to go buy spinners because you think yeah. doves love and, that spinner. Like, and no. Some of it is perspective, and I'll give you an example. We were out in North Dakota hunting uh, snows, and I was the only one that had a call. And we had this day. We smashed this day. It was great. They were just – it was unbelievable hunt. And I'm ripping on the call, and eventually I just, like, I stopped because I felt like it wasn't doing any good. Like, they weren't – the birds that were doing it were doing it regardless of whether I was calling or not. And, right. um, and it was just too much work by myself to, to do it. And so I didn't, like, fully put it away. You know, I would hit it, and then when I noticed it wasn't really working, I'd just put it away and sure. wait and let the, you know, let the rotaries and everything else do their job. And But then one of my hunting buddies is like, why'd you keep, why'd you stop? I'm like, because it wasn't working. He's like, oh, they were totally working. And I'm like. Here you go. And a tool. Not from my perspective. <laughs> like, like, like I'm, and, and to me, and maybe I was wrong. Maybe I wasn't seeing it from a, a the right perspective but for me when i'm you know calling i'm watching the bird's body language and it's like it's really doesn't seem to be working you know sure. but they were on the outside of the the spread so maybe 
when I was calling, they saw him turning or something that I wasn't getting him on that same line or something. Maybe I was looking at a different bird that wasn't reacting. I don't know. You know, I'm not saying I'm right or wrong or indifferent. I'm just saying at that point in time, there was two totally different perspectives of bird behavior as it, well, as it pertained to call, you know, and I was yeah, the only one yeah. calling. Yeah, I mean, I could have been like, here, you have at it. I mean, I may have actually said that. I don't know. But mm-hmm. I just bottom line is we had a great day. We shot well over 100 birds. So <laughs> whether it worked or didn't work, we killed birds. So there's really no reason to get an argument about it. <laughs> and that, that was a fall hunt, right? Yeah, yeah, that was a fall hunt. So there was no e-collar? No e-collar. It was me. I was the e-collar. So it's just it was so these fucking things were bombing into a silent spread because you decided that it wasn't working and you just sat there in silence and fucking just kill, 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 right? For the most part. I did I you know, again, like I, I didn't treat every flock the same like okay, I think I, I probably see. called at every flock and then but once I real once I got to a point where I didn't feel like it was doing anything, then I stopped. And how many decoys did you have out Dale? Oh, quite a few. How many? Um Probably 600 or so okay, full so bodies. Under no circumstances can one man sound like 600 geese. Right. But with that said, so on this same hunt, different field, different day, there was, <clears throat> there was a day where we were all in agreement, including me, that the call for sure was the thing. But we weren't bringing in flocks that day. We were running traffic. We couldn't get on the field that we wanted to. We basically got in between the roost and the feed, and we were running traffic. And it was the birds coming back to roost, and it was a very specific direction because it, it started to become like a joke. It's like, oh, single on the right was like, oh, fuck. And I just go, take a deep breath. And I had to just stand on that call it, hard, loud and fast, and then that thing would pitch in and we'd kill it. You know, and all we all we shot that day were singles, doubles, and triples, but we still ended the day with like fifty something. Fucking right. It was just like no flocks, just singles, doubles, and triples. And we were getting them as they were, like I said, they were coming back to roost, and we'd peel them off of a small flock. You know, but if I let up on it or got too quiet, they'd lose interest, and they would just take a right turn and head and head straight to the roost. And I just had like once I got their attention, I had to keep it and. Phil, I like so much lung power. Like for minute, two minutes straight, just like, and it, like it got stupid because I I realized there was a particular note that was getting their attention. So I stopped like getting fluffy with it. It was just one loud, high pitched bark, and I just like didn't change cadence, didn't do nothing, just loud. That's what they wanted. That's that's what was working, and we were all in agreement. Like there was no argument. We're like, yep, when you do that note, they pitch in, and they and we end up killing that bird. Doesn't it suck when you're the only person calling, and you're <sighs> calling so hard that your fucking lips go numb? Yeah, has that ever happened to you, dude? I'm like getting lightheaded, and I have to take because oh, I have to blow so loud. God, it's like because <gasps> one of you other fuckers. Pick up a call, please. It's uh, like, dude, my li- oh, I just I hate that when I'm the only brutal. person calling and, and my lips go numb and <laughs> the air's passing through. Yeah. It's like, oh. And that's what I mean. Like, literally, as the day went on, it's like I'll be sitting there and someone's like, single on the right. And I would go, oh, fuck. <sighs> okay. Yeah, exactly. 
exactly. it's like okay i gotta go to work now it's like oh my god that's brutal and then yeah, we'd like kill it and i'd be like you, you're fucking welcome at you. it's like why don't you fucking grab a call <laughs> jesus christ yeah, right right well i kind of would have done that but for whatever reason nobody could it's like it was my call and i knew how to work it you know it's like right, right, nobody right, else could right. get that exact note out of it for whatever fucking reason it's just how mm-hmm. that day went you know and it's like it was a fun we shot a lot of, it was a good trip that year and i think the out of four days, the worst day we had, I think, was like 46 or something like that. God damn. Yeah, it was great. But every day was also and that's totally. all without an e-collar, just so you guys know. Yeah. All you guys listening, you can have incredible snow goose hunting without an e-collar. Okay, continue. Yeah, and it was, but every day was totally different. How the birds reacted, what we had to do with the decoy spread or hides, calling, not calling. Like, every day was different. And it's just like, when you're out there, you have to pay attention to what the birds are doing. You have to pay attention to every detail you possibly can. Make adjustments. Pay attention to which adjustments work, which adjustments don't. Yes, you know, yes. And, you need to and, be able to recognize what is necessary, what, where, when, why. And you need to we, recognize those things. Yeah, and as a, as a team, we made, obviously, we made the right decisions right. when we made them. And we were able to consistently kill a good number of birds. You know, and so I think one of those hunts, it was like only like three flocks did it right, but we were able to maximize our shooting and, you know, put a lot of birds on the ground. So, and then, like I said, that other day was like just steady stream mid morning of birds coming back to roost, singles, doubles, and triples. It's like at the end of the day, it's like, didn't really feel like we were killing that much, but then when we went to pick up and counted the birds, like, oh, fuck, I have 46 birds here. Like, <laughs> and then you think about it, like, that's 46 volleys. Holy shit. Well, no, we shot a couple double triples too, but um, but that's that's a lot of volleys though. Like even th- let's say thirty, like that's you get to thirty separate times call the shot. That's, that's a lot of shot calling. Yeah, how many guys pay good money for snow goose hunts and don't fire the gun? Yeah, that definitely that hundred percent happens. Yeah, yeah but that last hunt where it's like the where I started, where I was like I didn't feel the calls working, but my buddy did. <sighs> That was the craziest shit. So we split off. One group went and scouted this way. One And we covered a shit ton of ground. Everybody came back. Nobody had really found anything. There was a field right, pretty much right behind, like less than a mile as the crow flies from our motel. So basically a town field that was absolutely shit stacked. And we just assumed like somebody, there's no way everybody and their brother is not watching these birds. And then <laughs> yeah, so right? we had no other plan. And we drove around it. Sure as shit, this field wasn't posted so we're like well somebody else might show up too but let's get here early you know be prepared to maybe hunt with new friends yeah we haven't met yet like and so that's what we did and just absolutely crushed them it's like this is incredible people show up or nobody showed up just our group we actually talked so two locals came rolling up to when we were cleaning geese and they talked to us like yeah we we've been watching those birds and we were gonna um come out there say you we told them right we're like you should have came out we totally would have let you home with this it was just two of them you're like sure. they go yeah we thought about posting that field it's not their field and i was like the light bulb went off my mind i'm like god that'd be such a that's such a gangster move if i was a local i would totally do that all you need is oh, a bucket all you need is a bucket with a posted sign and you put it at the field entrance when you yeah, scout yeah. and now you've because nobody's going to question it the farmer ain't going to give a shit right we won't even yeah, well, know it exists. 
<laughs> the bottom line is they didn't want it bad enough to actually do it. Exactly. Guess who did? You guys. <laughs> exactly. You guys were out there with guns ablaze. Yeah, you it, was, it, more. it was fun. It was, I was, I was like, I can't believe we can see our hotel from here. This is crazy. <laughs> like, and we were, like I said, we had put on crazy miles scouting the day before and just came up mm-hmm. empty and then it just worked out. Yeah. It's pretty wild. Good times. In fact, I just, uh, oh, I am going to start wrapping this up because I got to go get that trolling motor. But, with that said, I just purchased um, or put in for my swan tag for North Dakota just yesterday. And on their website, when you do that, you also have to buy your license, but it's refundable because it's like you can click a dot. Like, yes, I want a refund if I'm not successful in the lottery. Or, no, I'm buying a license regardless of. And that's what I clicked because if you don't get picked, you can buy it over the counter. Okay. Generally speaking, that next the the day of the lottery, whatever they, it's almost a hundred percent success rate for a swan tag because not that many people put in for it, and then so there's almost always surplus tags. So if for whatever reason the lottery spit out a, you didn't get drawn, just buy a surplus the day they come available and you'll get your swan tag. So I was like, I know I'm going hunting in North Dakota this year, so fuck it, I'm buying my ticket right now or my ticket, my uh, licenses right now. So I'm ready. I'm jacked. Uh, let's let's go. My my. Uh, what are your intentions with the swan? Once you have the swan, what what are you planning to do with it? Eat it. Eat it, and um, I'm gonna. I'll do a euro. I'll euro the skull. Oh sweet! Yeah, yeah. the euro. I like that idea. I did that with. Um, it was funny because when I first really started talking to Nick J and got him on the podcast, because he was telling me like we don't. There's you know they're all lessers that we shoot here very rare is there a greater and i was telling them you know like well i shot a greater for sure without question he's like are you sure i'm like nah i'm I'm pretty sure so when like the first time he came over to my house and we did it an in-person podcast i had because it was on one hunt i shot like the three subspecies or you know we call light geese i had a ross a lesser and then that greater and so i euroed all three of those skulls and i have them sitting on my and i mean it is you can just tell. It's like that mini one, the medium one, and the and the large one. There's like, an obvious size. Oh, difference. it's so obvious. Like it's almost not. I wouldn't say quite twice the size from a lesser to the greater, but it's <laughs> a full third. Like it's okay. it noticeably like noticeably bigger. Yeah. So and I just love them. I have my you know I put them on a counter. And you can just see that little one. You know, little medium big. It's just it's pretty cool. So it'd be really awesome to have a swan one just because they're so massive so uh, since you are since you are uh, planning to eat it i would highly recommend that you uh, pick out a juvenile i'm not worried about it okay we've talked about my culinary talents yeah yeah and i love goose legs and so i'm swan legs are huge so i'm that's gonna be awesome i can't wait it's gonna be great i watched a guy kill a swan with uh in north dakota we were hunting together. Um, he brought a swan down with number four steel shot. Jesus. Yeah. Yeah, he brought it down with number four they steel shot. Birds. I mean, it, it didn't sail away either. He dropped it right there, and we fucking recovered it. Well, story time. Some people in this podcast may have heard this story, but maybe you haven't, so I'll tell it again. So I've okay. been successful in my swan hunt before out there. So I have. Oh, eaten. you you have you have killed and eaten swans I, already. I have, 
But I have yet. Awesome. I have yet. Awesome. <laughs> this is where the story gets interesting. But I have still yet to kill and eat a tundra swan. Okay. Because I shot a trumpeter. This is a funny story. We're okay, so we're hunting in pretty far west, well outside of like the mapped out trumpeter swan zone. Right? Okay. We we have tags. Me and my buddy Austin have tags. We're hunting. We're having a good day. We're shooting a good mixed bag. We're shooting specs, darks, lights. It's a great awesome. day. We, we, we're out there running around. We just had a good volley. We're out there picking up birds. All of a sudden, yells, swans. We look, and here comes this pair of swans coming over the field. It's like, shit, I drop my birds, run, go get my gun. I see Austin dump his, and this one turns around. He's coming back at me. He's like at 30 yards. I rock him, doesn't fall. I'm like, Jesus. Rock him again, doesn't fall. I got one shot left. So I'm like, fucking A. And he's still flying right at me. So I wait till it's like <laughs> right fucking there, you know, like 15 yards. Put it right on his beak. Boom. Shoot him. Crumples. Super stoked. Because that's, that's like my third attempt at trying to get a swan, you know, where okay. I've had tags and it just didn't work out. So I was like super okay. stoked. I go grab it. And the moment I get my hands on it, I'm like, fuck. This is not a tundra swan. And so we're freaking oh, out. Okay. We don't know what we're going to do. So we're like, well, we got to call this in. Like, well, let's call the CO, you know. So we call. And uh, we call him. And he's like, yeah, can I help you? Like, okay, so we're out here. We told him where we were at. And uh, we have swan tags. And we're hunting. And these swans came in. And we shot them. And then upon retrieval, we realized they weren't tundra swans, but they were trumpeters what should we do and he's like well we don't have trumpeters out here <laughs> um well sir um <clears throat> you have he's trying to sweep it under the yeah, rug Dale. just let you, him sweep it under the rug you, and get on with your day you have two less than you did this morning <laughs> so and he's like well um and they could just tell in his voice no it wasn't that he could tell in his voice he didn't believe us like oh, these fuckers don't know how to id birds right <laughs> okay okay <laughs> and um we're like, well, what, I wasn't going to get into a pissing match with him over it. And I was just like, okay. He's like, and he just goes, you guys have your tags? And we're like, yeah. He's like, just tag him. Okay. All right. We're like, well, can we get your name and badge number? And just in case, like, we get checked in Minnesota, you know, or on the way or whatever. Sure, and, like, sure. we have record that we talked to you. And he's like, absolutely. So we did that. And then, which sucks. So I didn't share any of the pictures online, you know, because I'm like, you know, there's going to there the the pitchforks and the torches were going to come out because somebody would zoom in and be like, that's a trumpeter. You know, because the only way, the only difference for those listening, if you're not familiar, the difference between a tundra and a trumpeter is size. Tundras are smaller. They have a higher pitched sound and they have a little yellow dot, right? From their eye to the black part of their bill where it meets. Okay. There's a little yellow patch. That's it. And you can't really see that on the wing, you know, like, in the heat of battle, like, good luck. So nothing happened, no big deal. Um, but then it was like uh, uh, the following year I had Steve Court on the podcast, from the Minnesota Wall- Waterfall Specialist for the Minnesota DNR. And yeah, I, know who it is. I shared that story with him. And he's like, well, they had just that year, what they had done is they had just decriminalized Um. Not the year I shot it, but the year I had Steve on. They had just like decriminalized the the 
incidental taking of trumpeter swans because it mm-hmm. happens so often and their population is like completely recovered correct um like beyond recovered and he's like he goes yeah we just legally did that and we did that just like to protect hunters so that if he's like but in my history i don't have any recollection of anybody actually going after somebody who incidentally took a trumpet he's like from best of my knowledge i don't know of anybody that's ever been prosecuted for cited for it cited yeah. for you know incidental take of a tundra or a trumpeter i was like well that i wish i would have known that last year i was freaking out but now it actually is like i think utah the dakotas maybe minnesota well yeah we don't have a swan hunt so it wouldn't be minnesota um i don't know what there's a few other states that do it i think it, i think and again don't i'm not the law so do your own research but i think it's been like basically decriminalized in all states so an interesting factoid about the swan hunt because when i talked to him he's like there were talks of getting a minnesota swan hunt at some point in time and i haven't heard anything since um but talking with a specialist like when they started this recovery program for the trumpeters back in the day their goal was uh i think 300 breeding pairs I might be getting those numbers wrong. I think, but I think that's what it is. As of that podcast I did with Steve, there was like three hundred thousand adults and basically another three hundred thousand signets. So, way blew past their recovery goals. Okay. So, and their expand, and their, and their. Um, range is expanding exponentially every year well they're i mean you have that many birds they're running out of like you can't go anywhere in minnesota without seeing a pair of of trumpeters like they're they're on every body of water speaking of things that look like a lawn chair falling from the sky when you shoot them (laughs) have you ever have you ever have you ever eaten a sandhill crane i have oh my god are they incredible yeah they're really good they're very good oh my god i'd love to go down there to like the like Texacoma or the Panhandle down there and do a legit crane hunt sometime. I think that would well, be Well, what they need to do, Steve, if you're listening, what you need to do is expand the Sandhill Crane Zone in Minnesota. Well, they were talking about that, too, and it's like, we'll make it statewide. And he's like, well, we'll never make it statewide. He goes, only because there's lots of there's lots of places in the state that don't have them. He's like, so why, you know, there's no sense in making a zone. I, I, re- I respectfully disagree. I think there are a few places in the state that don't have them, but but it's not going to hurt. It's, all, it's also not going to hurt. It's like, well, if they're not there, they're obviously not going to get killed. So why not just make it statewide? You know, I mean, just to make it yeah, just, easy. Just but. just make it statewide to make it easy. Right. At at the very least, at the very least, expand it to the northern half of the state. For sure, and and that's kind of where we got to. Least. He's like, because what they do, and this has been my experience too. Is like in the fall as they migrate, they kind of dam up in certain areas. So basically, like north of the Twin Cities, um, you know, like that Pine County area. Well, I know in the in the central part of the state too. You know, the um, what is it? The it's like by Elk River, Sherburn, Sherburn National Refuge gets absolutely that area gets absolutely shit stacked. But what I've noticed because I hunt like in the East Central region that you just start gaining more and more birds and all of a sudden they get to this just massive amount. And then all of a sudden, almost in one night, they're all gone. They just, Dale, when you lose just, me here, just, just wrap it up without me. Okay. Oh, okay. If I'm going to lose it. Well, let's just wrap it up keep, now. We've already, going. now we've already, we've already kind of 
wandered into new territory almost two hours let's okay. we're burning up good oh, content good. so yeah good. anyways two hours that's good yeah so uh yeah let's just end it i don't need to wrap it up anyways thanks for listening everybody and uh stay tuned uh phil's got uh, crap tons more stuff to talk about and we're gonna get to it so don't keep messaging us keep letting us know we'll take all the the good and the bad and the ugly comments and just let us know you're listening we appreciate you um whatever your passion pursue it full scale yep uh apprentice hunter validation good that's that's my ending point <laughs> excellent